0: From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. There are 11 Americans who are on a list that's called Putin's list. And that list is of people connected to the Magnitsky Act. People Vladimir Putin reportedly would like very much to have in Russian custody. And considering the suspicious deaths of enemies of Vladimir Putin, the people on this list, specifically Kyle Parker, are concerned.
1: I am being targeted for my service to my country, not not because of something I do in my spare time.
0: Parker is the chief of staff of the Helsinki Commission, based in Washington.
1: I expect my government at the highest level, I expect my president, I expect my State Department, my Justice Department, to make it very clear to the Russian government that this is unacceptable.
0: After the Trump-Putin summit in Helsinki, The russian prosecutor general's office released the names of u.s citizens it wants to question in connection with the magnitsky act
1: this sort of an escalation this sort of going after in my case congressional staff um many on those most on that list are are executive branch officials but uh you know i expect that i'm not uh i'm not scared this Mm -hmm. isn't going to cause us to deter our
0: work still the magnitsky act is the single biggest threat to putin and his regime And he and the regime are expected to deal with this threat as they have others.
1: It's something that we do expect the U.S. to take seriously.
0: The spellbinding story of Kyle Parker, coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The Helsinki Commission is an independent agency of the federal government. Since 1975, its work has been designed to monitor compliance with the Helsinki Accords and advanced comprehensive security through promotion of human rights, democracy, economic, environmental, and military cooperation in the 57-nation region that it encompasses. From Vancouver to Vladivostok, our guest on this program is Kyle Parker. He's chief of staff of the Helsinki Commission. The reason he's our guest is because he's also on a list. It's called Putin's list. That list, by other definitions, is essentially a hit list. But it's a list of people that he supposedly wants to get into Russian custody because of the Magnitsky Act. I might add, it's not clear what would happen to them if they were to end up in Russian custody. That's the reason why Parker and the 10 other people that are on this list are, along with so many other people around the world, are concerned about the so-called request that came after Mr. Putin's summit with President Trump in Helsinki. The Russian prosecutor general essentially issued this list. So Kyle Parker is going to explain what this all means, starting right now. Mr. Parker, thank you for joining us on Target USA. You are no stranger to Washington, and you're no stranger to complications and, and some of the nasty things that can take place because of politics, not just here in Washington, but around the world. And for those who don't know who you are, um, and I'm pretty sure pretty soon a lot of folks are going to know who you are. Before we get to Putin's wish list and what it means for you, explain to us what your role was and is in terms of the Magnitsky Act.
1: Okay, so actually I worked on the Magnitsky Act uh, during my previous tour at the Helsinki Commission. Uh, I was there from 2006 to 2014 as as the lead Russia analyst, and then I left for the past three years and was at the House Foreign Affairs Committee in returned to Helsinki in uh, in January. Uh, but my role was, you know, we, I first heard the story um, when Sergei Magnitsky was still alive and being subjected to increasingly torturous conditions in Moscow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're a human rights commission, a government body. Um, I was, I was aware of Bill Browder's uh, adventures, if you will, in Russia in the early Putin era. And uh, had followed had followed his career and his falling out with the government. And so you know when he came in to to tell me this story, I'd known a little bit about him. But the story was so shocking and so different from anything we had heard before. namely, you know this wasn't the usual story of someone who had you know whose company had been stolen and lost money and rightly wanted it back, and obviously had uh, you know was a rule of law concern. Uh, and those things are legitimate for us to discuss with the Russian government, in the context of their international commitments. But what we had here was a case of a young Russian attorney, actually working for an American law firm, mm-hmm. uh, and, and one of his clients uh, was was Bill Browder and the Hermitage Fund, and he had stumbled upon, almost accidentally, in a sense, what was what we now know to have been a massive. Uh, fraud mechanism mm-hmm. that Russian government officials were using to steal from the Russian treasury mm-hmm. and launder it through international ban- banks, including U.S. banks, and into into foreign property, including property in the United States. And this was all happening at a time when, you know, during during the uh, the reset, and we were, our government was looking to move closer to Russia and, you know, develop economic relationships and things. And so we saw it as a a very legitimate case, given the, the purchase on American in- interest, an American law firm that was essentially run out of town, um, a lawyer was thrown behind j- thrown um, thrown in jail, under the worst pro- possible circumstances, and money coming through our system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, after hearing the story, went out and you know working on Russia for I've been I've been covering Russia in Washington for a little more than 20 years. You get to be pretty skeptical. Of the things you hear, and mm-hmm. so I went out and spent a few months really asking as many people as I could find—Russian journalists, people inside our government, people in in the nonprofit community—trying to really, you know, fact-check the story. And what I kept hearing was that it was significantly worse than Bill Bill Browder was representing it.
0: Mm. Um, so, what did you do next after you found out all of this information that uh, you went out looking for?
1: Well, so at the time, you know, when I, I thought that, you know, one of, one of our main tools at the commission, and, and which is, is very much like a, you know, looks like a congressional committee, is, of course, hearings. We, we hold mm-hmm. hearings, and it's a way we use to raise public awareness. So I worked this up into a hearing we would hold uh, ahead of President Obama's uh, first trip to Russia to meet then-President Dmitry Medvedev. Mm-hmm. And we titled the hearing, The Medvedev Thaw, Is It Real?, will it last? And we looked at it a variety of cases, and one of the cases we looked at was the case of Sergei Magnitsky. Again, at this time, Sergei is alive, in jail. Bill is working very hard to you know, raise any sort of Western awareness and pressure to try to get him out. Uh, but none of us at, at this time have any sense that this young, healthy Russian lawyer is going to die in a Moscow prison cell in a matter of months.
0: And that's what happened. So when he did, what did you think?
1: You know, honestly, I felt a little guilty. Uh, I, you know, I had until then been sort of conducting my approach to human rights advocacy as saying, hey, we've got a variety of problems in Russia and in the the countries I cover. And some of them are religious freedom questions. Some of them are property restitution and, and, you know, torture in Chechnya and the war. And so I had figured that, well, we had focused uh, on this story in a hearing, and not everybody gets to tell their story to Congress. And after we'd done that, I sort of felt like that was probably about all we could do, uh, and I moved on to other cases until I came into my office on a November morning. I believe it was November 17th of that year, and I was you know, getting my coffee and turned my computer on, and our, our press uh, secretary at the time came over to me and said, did you see this story? This is isn't this the, isn't this the guy we had heard about? And I read this, this, this awful account of how this, this young man with a a wife and two children, someone who at the time was pretty much my same age had, had died in, in a Russian prison.
0: So I'll spare you going through all of the, the details, which I'm sure are still difficult for you to this day. You took action, you got busy, not that you weren't already busy on this, but um, as you said, you had moved on to other things. But when you sat down on that November morning and saw what had happened to Sergei Magnitsky, then you got busy crafting and working on something that we later learned uh, and have grown to know as the Magnitsky Act. How did it come together?
1: Well, you know, I resolved that, that this was going to change the way at least I approached my own job as, mm-hmm. as, as doing human rights advocacy for the U.S. government. And that we would take this case, and we would make sure that Sergei Magnitsky did not die in vain. And I found it wholly unsatisfying to return to what had been our usual pattern. You, things like this happen: you write some press release condemning the latest murder, the latest outrage. It goes out; no one pays attention to it. Moscow moves on. There's no consequence. I really had felt that you know there was a, this: we had we had crossed a line and needed to move into an area of consequences and not being content merely to express outrage or, or raise these cases and I also had thought that what happened to Sergei Magnitsky happened by individuals right I mean it's mm-hmm. you talk about Russia did this or Russia did that well in the end there had to be people and what I found so striking was many of these people are Sergei's same age you mm-hmm. know might it might have even gone to law school together or gone to you know could have under different circumstances been friends and yet Some are on one side and some are on another side. And if you're an investigator and you're opening a criminal case against the same person who had submitted a criminal complaint against you, I'm sorry, you need to know that that's improper and something's Mm -hmm. wrong. Or if you're a doctor in a prison and your job is to care for prisoners, and again, these these are not our standards, these are universal standards, these are Russia's own law, and you don't do that, there's a problem there. There's a matter of individual responsibility. And so I asked Bill, I said, Bill, let's, we want to see a list and we want to work and look through this case and, and, and see everybody who had mishandled this, not simply by virtue of their position, hey, you were Minister of the Interior and happened under your watch, but people right. who had direct knowledge and involvement.
0: Yeah, now, so just uh, to explain this for our listeners, just to break it down a little bit, as I mentioned, we've talked about this before with Bill Browder, but the reality of what was going on here was that. Sergey had discovered that there was some impropriety going on he reported it and the very people that he reported knocked on his door if i'm not mistaken
1: yeah essentially that you know most of his complaints were ignored except for except for one or two that weren't ignored they were then forwarded to the very individuals he complained about who obviously um, didn't take it to to you know weren't too amused to to receive these criminal complaints and of course Remember at the time Sergei Magnitsky is is operating in an environment in Russia where you have this younger president You have this this feeling of perhaps change in the air Dmitry Medvedev himself is talking about Legal nihilism in Russia and the importance of combating that and modernization that was his big his big buzzword was this You know sort of I look at it as a euphemism for democratization but they called it the modern Dmitry Medvedev's modernization and agenda in that sense Magnitsky is is acting as a patriotic Russian who of course would love to go home uh, and see his wife and children again but in the end you know understands that some things are are more important than comfort and and ultimately life itself and 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 truth is one of those things and so Sergei mm-hmm. Magnitsky in in that respect uh, assumes almost literary importance in in a modern Russia with with very few heroes
0: mm-hmm. so uh, Sergei, Magnits- Sergei Magnitsky ended up dying. Tell us uh, what he died of and and how.
1: Well, when he had entered entered uh, entered jail, he was he was like I said a healthy, I believe, 36 year old. Um, given the increasingly torturous conditions they subjected him to, I mean, again, you've probably heard this from Bill, and it's well documented in, in in human rights reports and in and in other other cases. But essentially, all of the pressure that they could bring to bear on him. Cold cells with no with no window panes in the in in the winter, uh, lights on all the time. Things that we would we would look at as as essentially torturous, um, beatings from other in, inmates, other other things, and he his health begins to break down. And instead of being transferred to a, a prison where there would ha- you know be a proper medical facility, he's transferred to one that doesn't have one, and. He's constantly told that he could he can get this medical care again as long as he signs these, you know, um, papers withdrawing his complaint or implementing himself, implicating himself or his client. He resists and is increasingly, you know, again, increasingly subject to, to even further pressure till in the very end on his last in his last few hours of life he's transferred to one of one of Moscow's very I guess you could call it infamous prisons Matroska Tishina um, and he is instead of being treated uh, by the uh, by, by the doctors he is put in an isolation cell alone and I believe he's handcuffed to a bed and we ultimately learn later is is beaten by riot guards for a period of time until he collapses uh, on the floor and is found in the cell dead in a pool of his own blood and urine and I I don't say that to to to, to be jarring or shocking but just to really drive it home that when we talk about human rights abuses uh... it's an ugly it's an ugly reality um... and we even understand later that medical it was an ambulance that was refused to even come and see him and that Moscow police would open a a murder investigation but it it would quietly be shelved and go nowhere
0: Mm -hmm. And this all led to the Magnitsky Act. So just tell us what the Magnitsky Act says and does.
1: So we, we you know, it didn't start with the Magnitsky Act, right? When you look at Congress, uh, legislation is is really the top of our escalatory ladder, mm-hmm. right? We, we first start with questions, letters, hearings, and really build up towards is there really a need for Congress to get involved here. So we look at this, and in our leadership uh, at the time, Chairman, Senator, uh, the chairman of the commission was Senator Ben Cardin. And we look at this and say that, you know, this is a pretty outrageous case. And there's a lot we probably can't do. And we can't force bring these people to justice in Russia. But we know that these individuals value the legitimizing um, privilege of traveling to our country, of hiding dirty money in our banks. And so we think, well, at the very least, we need to make a statement here. Uh, particularly when we're at a time where we're coming closer with Russia we're Mm -hmm. actually on other fronts we're pursuing greater engagement so we Mm -hmm. say okay greater engagement is fine but we need to have some powerful red lines where this comes in And when you come into our system and so senator Cardin and I we looked into existing statute and and authority and found that the uh, the executive branch had authority to essentially publicly name and shame these individuals and ban them from travel to our country so we wrote a letter and worked up an exhaustive list of, at the time, 60 targets that we had, um, in our research, seen as implicated in the case and sent that up to Secretary Clinton in April of 2010, requesting that she take a look at this and use existing authority to publicly ban these individuals from traveling to the United States. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of where it starts in terms of an official US policy action. We, of course, need to give the State Department some time to react. Um, and at that time, I introduce Bill to the Lantos Com- Commission for Human Rights, which is an- another agency, uh, institution under the House Foreign Affairs Committee that you know, holds hearings on human rights. And Jim McGovern, a Democrat from Massachusetts, says, you know, I'd like to do even more. I'd like to actually pursue legislation. We write laws around here. And he asked us, and, and we said, "Listen, we'd be happy to, to work with you, but let's, let's give the State Department time to react and see what they're going to come back and tell us." And in the end, they came back uh, a couple months later with, with a response that was was not serious. We found we we were even able to do forensics on the letter and found that it was you know drafted by essentially a, a summer intern in their Congressional Affairs Department and signed wow. by, and and it it, it didn't address our concerns. It didn't take what was at that time months of serious research we had invested in. And it repeated back to us some of the same things we had heard from the Kremlin. Because at this point, you not, you not only have the crime, but you have the cover-up is already well-advanced in Moscow.
0: Mm-hmm. That's disappointing to hear. And I'm, I'm certain this also um, energized your efforts to get something concrete done. So what did you do and how did you get from there to the act?
1: So we said, you know, that was the summer of, I guess, 2010. And at that point, you know, Senator Cardin said he'd be happy to uh, to to join efforts with uh, with Representative McGovern. And again, to be clear here so that there's really no partisan misunderstanding, no executive branch comes easy to the notion of sanctions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's. You know, I look at state departments or foreign ministries the world over as status quo powers. If, if they're not doing it and they didn't think of it, they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's a natural tension between the executive branch and the legislative branch. But we realize that we're going to need to take more than just a letter to this and also realize that it's very important, given given the reset, given, you know, sort of the offices involved, that this not be seen as a partisan effort. And so we then begin the process of seeking out um, Republican co-leads and wanting to make sure that we do this in both chambers. And so Senator Cardin works with Senator John McCain. And at the time uh, in in that Congress, uh, Congressman McGovern worked with Daryl Issa. And we then introduced the bill, I think, in September of that year. Now, this is the end of the Congress. And anyone who really knows how to watch Congress and predict chances of legislation, understands that you drop a bill with a few months left of the session, the likelihood of it becoming law is pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, we, we were serious and wanted to see where we could get it. And also what was happening toward the end of that year was the ratification of the new START treaty. Mm-hmm. And so there was real concern, I know, under, uh, I think at the time, Chairman John Kerry, his priority was ratifying the START treaty, and that was the administration's priority. So we weren't able to really make much progress other than dropping the law, sending the message, we're serious about this, Um, we'll be back in the next Congress.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, so let's move ahead to getting this done, and we've got some other things we want to talk to you before we run out of time with you today. Um, So tell us, once you were in a position to get what it was that you wanted in this legislation what did you end up with and what does it do?
1: Well we 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 ended up regrouping and and coming back in the next Congress and at that point and it's a little too complicated to go into in the time we have but what starts out as a letter requesting visa a visa ban public visa ban and then becomes legislation saying in this particular case we want a visa ban and an asset freeze in the next Congress is widened even further to say this is going to be a visa ban an asset freeze because we understand corruption and human rights abuses often often go hand in hand and so there needs to be that financial component mm-hmm. um, we also say you know there's a lot of other individuals whose whose stories are important and we're hearing from people across Russia hey what about what about these other cases and so the choice is made to expand this to cover not just Sergei Magnitsky's case but all instances of serious human rights abuses and indeed we attempt at, at that time to make it global because we say, you know, hey, this is w- w- what we've discovered here is, is co- a cost-effective way to say, hey, this, is, this doesn't cost any money for us. This is, this is a way for us to say, you know what? We want to protect our own system. We don't, mm-hmm. our, our banks are not to be abused by, by foreign uh, kleptocrats or, or human rights abusers. We don't want these people traveling to the United States. And by doing this, we also send a s- profound signal of solidarity to those who suffer abroad. And, you know, a great policy at a time where we have shrinking foreign affairs budgets and foreign assistance is is more controversial. And in a place like Russia, when you fund NGOs and whatever, they're very quickly labeled as traitors to the country. Mm -hmm. We're not quite able to get that 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 across the finish line, the global. It does end up being limited to just Russia. It has since been expanded and and is a global. um, You have both the Russia specific law and a global element. But what it does is it targets the individual bad actor the murderers and torturers the thieves and crooks who are harming and violating the rights of of the russian people and it says we are not going to be you know give you any legitimacy you're not going to visit this country and get your money out of our banks and we do it in a public way and that has caused other countries to say hey you know if the united states puts your name in lights as a human rights abuser or a seriously corrupt official other countries often follow suit, sometimes not publicly, mm-hmm. uh, but those names get entered in, and it complicates their ability to, to travel and, and bank in in the West.
0: That's Kyle Parker, chief of staff of the Helsinki Commission. He's responsible for a significant amount of work on the Magnitsky Act, which punishes the Kremlin for its corruption and some of its human rights activities. He's also on Vladimir Putin's wish list of Americans that he wants to get custody of and when we come back we're going to hear Kyle Parker tell us why he's concerned
1: I am being targeted for my service to my country Mm -hmm. right not not because of something I do in my spare time and I'm not uh, I'm not scared this Mm -hmm. isn't going to cause us to deter our work right but uh, you know it's it's something that we do expect The U.S. to take seriously.
0: That's Kyle Parker, chief of staff of the Helsinki Commission, and he'll tell us just how serious the government should take it when we come back to Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Kyle Parker is chief of staff of the Helsinki Commission, and he's among 11 Americans on what's known as Putin's wish list, a list of people that Vladimir Putin would like the Kremlin to get control of to question them about crimes against the Kremlin. But there are many who believe what Putin really wants to do is to silence them. We continue our conversation now with Kyle Parker about the situation. So, um, we've talked pretty significantly today about the Magnitsky Act, where it came from, what was the, the genesis of it, and where it is now. And as you know, and many people are learning, what took place in Helsinki on the 16th of July the Helsinki summit between President Trump and Mr. Putin, there was what I think might be best described as an offer that came from Mr. Putin to have the 12 that are mentioned in the one of the indictments from the special counsel, essentially in return for, you know, some kind of uh, information swap or uh, interrogation swap. He wanted to have several Americans essentially turned over to them for questioning or discussions. Bill Browder's on that list. You are on that list. And it's become known since then as the Putin list. And uh, I wonder if you will will explain for our audience what exactly you believe that Putin list is all about and what your understanding of what it is.
1: Well, I think you're right in connecting it with the the recent uh, Mueller indictment of the 12 Russian spies. You know, the Kremlin has a long history of responding in a tit-for-tat manner and, and we're now pawns in this in this greater struggle. Um, you know, I've been watching Moscow and how it, how, it, how it sort of pursues these sorts of cases for over 20 years. Make no mistake, they're coming after us for our service to the U.S. government. Uh, they will likely convict us on bogus charges and then take those charges to international organizations like Interpol. With a view to issuing bogus red notices, um, you know, and again, a red notice is something that is viewed in, viewed in many countries as a provisional arrest warrant, mm-hmm. and so you know, with a view to harassing and, and complicating our travel, and in in Bill Browder's case, you know, we've seen this has happened, uh, boy, five, six, seven times. Yes. Um, and sometimes it's a hassle, and sometimes it's detention. Of course, in the worst possible case, it could mean extradition to Russia if you ended up in a country that has. An agreement or friendly relations with Moscow um,
0: and you may may never be heard from again outside of, of, of Moscow if that indeed happens I understand that according to, to Bill talking to him I think it was on his last in his last situation or at least one in Spain where some people who showed up pretending or purporting to be officers weren't really officers and there's the possibility of this kind of thing happening if you do find yourself in a jam on one of these red notices. And I'm sure that is, is of concern to you, no?
1: Oh, it, it's absolutely the real concern, right? You know, I'm, I'm not that concerned that my own government is turning me over to anyone um, or making me available for questioning. Um, that said, it is a concern, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's something you have to take seriously. Uh, again, w- we know that the Kremlin means business. Uh, they're angry about this they're tenacious they have long memories uh and you know i've watched this over a period of years develop against other cases and i have worked very hard and sort of trying to to add the u.s voice to to help advocate for these individuals so for me now it's it's moved beyond theoretical yeah
0: so and, and and so what i've been hearing is that and this is a quote that you are deep under putin's skin and that From Browder and other people suggest that this has seriously gotten his attention, and we know what happens typically when things rise to his level. Uh, So, um, what's your? Why do you think it is that you particularly are under his skin?
1: Well, and I don't know if I'm particularly, or if, if if just my close association with with the Magnitsky. But your name's on the list. It's my not name's your association yeah, that's it, on the right. list. It's it your is. name. It is. And and I think it's, you know, ultimately it's for my work for, for, for the US government. It's for it's for my service, my official duties for, for members of Congress. You know, I, I, I don't draft laws in, in my spare time. I do it for yeah, a living. but
0: a lot of people have done things in the Congress that's not popular right. with, with with Putin and with the 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 Kremlin, but they don't get put on what's effectively been called a hit list.
1: Right, right. Well, I th- I think a lot of things have been done in the Congress that are not popular with the Kremlin, but there are a few things that have gotten under the Kremlin's skin as much as the Magnitsky Act. Mm, uh, and, right. and, and I think, you know, you look at our the rest of our sanctions regime, we have sectoral sanctions, we have armed sector sanctions, we have all kinds of sanctions on Russia. And yet it's the Magnitsky sanctions that seem to bother them the most. And, and my suspicion is that The Magnitsky Act, the Magnitsky sanctions are just so simple. They're so justified and understandable. And they're very, very personal. Um, The Russian people understand this, right? They they, they, They understand this in a way that they don't understand some of our other more complicated programs. And they understand that what the Magnitsky Act is doing is penalizing individuals who are harming them. who are are abusing their rights, who are stealing their money, who are creating wars with their neighbors and robbing their children and and future generations of of the future that should be their birthright. And although there might be rising anti-Americanism in Russia, I can tell you there's, there's, there's an even greater anger simmering beneath the surface on the part of the citizenry against a government that they believe is robbing from them and stealing from them you know Magnitsky I think rightly understands the current tension and struggle to be more like a game of monopoly mm-hmm. and less like a game of risk mm-hmm. this is about a small group of thieves and crooks who are trying to defend their money and their property not about warm water ports or global domination
0: not about Tartus or global domination exactly that warm water port in Syria those are don't... nice benefits but right, right. so um, what do you think would happen if Russian agents were allowed, if they got their hands on you, if they were allowed, or if they got, you said, obviously, and I, I believe that that's from a U.S. government point of view, you're simply not going to be turned over. But what do you think would happen if they did get their hands on you? You know,
1: I, 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 it's really hard for me to imagine. I, I'm not certain that they expect to or that they've even thought that far. I th- and I think there's a danger for us to, you know, you hear words like investigation and law enforcement. And we tend to mirror image and think, well, maybe this would be like a questioning we would have. This is entirely different. <laughs> yeah. This has nothing to do with law enforcement. These are delusional allegations. It has everything to do with politics and and, and, and and harassment.
0: And indeed, this is what happened with Sergei Magnitsky to the to the nth degree. And unfortunately, he didn't survive it. Do you have any uh, sense uh, that they uh, have been or might try to harass you?
1: Well, you know, I, I guess I'll put it this way. I, You know, I have received uh, in recent years, you know, very personal and violent threats coming from Russian emails and things. Um, and I've seen that. So, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure sent those to me mm-hmm. um, it came after the United States imposed some particularly punishing personal sanctions in early 2014 um, but you know I, I guess I really don't I, otherwise than that you know I, I live here in the United States I haven't been a, I'm banned from traveling to Russia and have been for some time um, but you know I've in, in, in previous years I've made over probably 50 visits to Russia uh, sometimes accompanying senior US officials. And I've never seen anything amiss or out of the ordinary. Traveling f- through Moscow and places for me might as well have been New York City or Chicago. Um, Russian Russia security services are very highly capable and professional. And if they don't want you to know you're watch- they're watching you, you won't know it. And, and by the same token, looking over your shoulder is going to do no good either. Because mm-hmm. if they're out to get you, they have ways of doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, in other words, um, you haven't changed your routine with the exception of not going to Russia.
1: Well, you know, this is... (laughs) Or have you? Well, this is a very recent development, right? We're talking literally a week or so, and, and, uh, you know, I am still uh, hopeful to uh, be talking to parts of our government and other things. But, you know, I would say... Well,
0: before you move on, explain that. Talking to who and about what to the degree you can say?
1: Well, again, I am, I am being targeted for my service to my country, mm-hmm. right? Not, not because of something I do in my spare time. Mm-hmm. I expect my government at the highest level. I expect my president, I expect my State Department, my Justice Department to make it very clear to the Russian government that this is unacceptable this sort of an escalation this sort of going after in my case congressional staff mm-hmm. um... many on those most on that list are, are executive branch officials mm-hmm. um, but uh... you know i expect that i'm not uh... i'm not scared this mm-hmm. isn't going to cause us to deter our work Right. but uh... you know it's it, it's something that we do expect the u.s. to take seriously and
0: so have you heard anything back from these folks that you expect to take these actions
1: well at the moment, um,
0: I understand as you say, it's just fairly fairly new thing here.
1: It is fairly new, and and I, I will also say that it, it's 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 a difficult problem, and you know we've seen this in the case, particularly with in, in, an organization like Interpol, which you know, despite what you may have seen in the movies, is essentially a database, right? Mm-hmm. It's a messaging network, and the Russians like. Many of the what hundred, nearly two hundred members of Interpol—it's almost the entire world that's 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 part of this, much like the UN—have the ability to literally sit down at a computer terminal and enter your information in and 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 push enter, and it instantaneously notifies essentially the entire world, and you could be picked up wherever you're traveling to. So even if the United States says we won't acknowledge these notices, we won't turn you over it's very hard for us to stop Russia from doing that uh, and its even it's even a challenge for the Interpol headquarters in France mm-hmm. because of the rules and the charters but it's an abuse and and you know as we see more cases you know this is this is a challenge for the people who run Interpol it's a challenge for our government the Department of Justice to say hey you know in this case this is a total abuse this has nothing to do with law enforcement mm-hmm. and you know, this This is something where, you know, when our government gets an Interpol Red Notice, it's considered law enforcement sensitive. So I found as a, in Congress, even with clearances and things, overseeing this is very difficult because when something's marked LES or law enforcement sensitive, you often can't find out about it even if you have a clearance unless you're an investigative agency. But for us to treat something like this with the same deference, we would give a normal investigation or law enforcement cooperation, is absurd it's so plainly political I want my government if it has a sense that I've been entered into a system I expect a warning and mm-hmm. and, and 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 I think the other people on that list expect and deserve as much too.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: just briefly what do you know about the others on the list uh,
1: some of them are good friends uh, on you know the list um, seems to be broken up uh, in two major categories one are those you know, leading individuals who were most involved in, the, in the, um, the, the enactment and the implementation of the Magnitsky Act. That would be the group I'm in. Mm-hmm. And the second group involves um, the Prevezon case, which uh, was a civil forf- asset forfeiture case up in the Southern District of New York. Mm-hmm. This is where we've heard so much about this famous Russian lawyer, Natalia Veselnitskaya. Uh, even in the news uh, today, mm-hmm. um,
0: today being July
1: 27th. Yes. So I would, um, uh, you know, a couple things. So who, you know, you have Mike McFaul. Everybody knows our, our you know, in, and not only was he our former ambassador, he was, of course, President Obama's senior director for Russia at the National Security Council, which was where I worked most directly with him during those days, as we were in conversations with our executive branch over the proposal that would become the Magnitsky Act. Um, David Kramer. Mm -hmm. former assistant secretary of state for democracy human rights and labor and incidentally a member of the Helsinki Commission Mm -hmm. which you know where where I where I work at the moment Um, David uh, as a commissioner and then later when he was running Freedom House was perhaps one of the most effective uh, outside of government advocates for this approach Uh, Jonathan Weiner uh, a lawyer who had worked uh, in, in, in the State Department previously and actually was an old lawyer for, uh, for Senator John Kerry back in the day, um, had been involved directly and, and has done some legal work for Bill Browder. Uh, Robert Otto. Uh, Robert Otto, who is, is uh, one of the experts in, our, I mean truly a national treasure in terms of what he knows about Russia and Russia's internal politics. He works for the State Department's Intelligence Bureau. Um, and was able to add significant detail to what we already knew about this case from the public record.
0: Mm-hmm. We're just about out of time, and I want to hear from you before we go. Um, how would you characterize, and as we're talking about the, the lengths to which Russia's, well, this this network of, of bad actors will go to get what they want to do what they want to do how would you characterize Russia's activities this group's activities in the US their abilities in the US
1: well uh, you know I think you could easily break that down into a variety of categories uh, one would be their technical abilities their electronic abilities and you know it's, it's really hard to add to so much of the good even public product that we've seen from our own intelligence community over the past year or so, um, you know, talking, to them, I think it was uh, ODNI, Dan Coats, talking about the you know, system blinking red. Um, this is a very capable intelligence service. Um, you mm-hmm. know, in, in terms of their physical presence uh, here in the United States, of course, we had this recent round of expulsions. Uh, and also some closures of Russian consulates, and and of course the residents out on the eastern shore and up on Long Island, so and and San, Franci- San Francisco, Seattle, um, yeah. Seattle. I'm sorry. Both.
0: Well, San Francisco yeah, first, San then F- Seattle. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there has been so many.
1: There's been so many. It's it's yeah. It's it's been hard to keep up with. So so that certainly has limited their ability some, um, but at the same time it also complicates it because if you if you expel the people that you know you, you, you know are up to no good, you now suspect that. They're probably new people, and do you know who they are yet? Um, but you know, it, it's certainly an extensive presence. It's it's uh, it's especially uh, extensive here in Washington and in New York City, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's these are individuals who have been much bolder than we've seen in previous years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've seen I've seen a very uh, bold posture of Russian. Either diplomats or or intelligence uh, agents in Europe, to where they're, you know, being more public, willing to disrupt a public hearing, do things like that, where you're normally used to people sitting in the back of a room and taking notes. And we're starting to see that here in the United States. I think you look at the uh, the recent case we have in the news with this uh, Maria Butina, and and a very aggressive. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That so, so you you, I mean, what what I've been hearing, uh, lately is that there are those that think. You know, she wasn't necessarily an, uh, an agent, and, and she wasn't connected to the government or the Kremlin in any way. She was just uh, a Russian acting on her own. But there are others who say, look, there are some very clear signs, and I think this is why the, the FBI and the government took the action that they took that suggests that that's not the case. That suggests that there is some very significant concern there, and I hear what you're saying about that. And uh, it's really interesting to see right now your the look on your face as you explain this knowing what it is that has taken place since you started the Magnitsky Act. And you've achieved quite a quite a great amount of success, but recognizing what's at stake now with the attitude and the the posture between the US and Russia with the Mueller investigation and the you mentioned the Boutina investigation and others that may come where we go from here so where do you go from here
1: well you know i i I carry on um... you know we're we're in in our little corner of the u.s. government we're not backing down we're doubling down. Mm -hmm. in fact you know some of the work even even this week for me has been to uh... attempt to ensure that the upcoming magnitsky designations that we expect we've come to expect now towards the end of the year this is the russia specific magnitsky act are as, as extensive uh, and robust as possible, particularly in light of recent uh, Treasury Department regulations that have expanded the scope some. So we're going back and we're looking at earlier targeting sets and making sure that those who belong on the list are, are indeed on the list. And of course for for uh, OFAC and Treasury, um, you know, this is if, if, if there was a part of the government that's overworked and underpaid, I would say it's our OFAC sanctions line because We are increasingly turning to them on a number of fronts, whether it's Iran or North Korea or whatever, Um, and so – and, you know, Russia programs. So it's often not a challenge of political will but simply uh, manpower, if you will. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, Kyle Parker – I can't tell you how appreciative uh, I am that you didn't think it was robbery to come by and spend a little while with us to explain the situation because our audience is deserving of it. They're interested in it. They're all over it. And just looking at what seems to be on the horizon right now with the investigation, the Mueller investigation, certainly looking back at what took place in Helsinki on the 16th of July and all of the latest developments that seem to happen day by day with reference to Russia-U.S. activities, it's almost a a given to me that we'll be talking to you again, specifically as it it relates to the Magnitsky Act, uh, assuming you're willing, uh, about some new ridiculously uh, unbelievable developments that have taken place but that are important and are being handled uh, at your level. And we we, we really appreciate you coming by.
1: Well, thank you, J.J. Uh, It's a pleasure to be able to tell a little bit of my story. I'm a big fan of your show.
0: That's Kyle Parker, Chief of Staff at the Helsinki Commission. We will continue our coverage of Putin's wish list. In fact, coming up on our next edition.
1: And at, at about 9.40 in the morning, there's a knock on my door. I open the door and the general manager of the hotel is standing there with two uniformed police officers. And I, uh, they asked me for my identification. I show them my ID. They compare it with a piece of paper they have. And then they say,
0: Mr. Browder, you're under arrest. And I said, what for? And they said, Interpol, Russia. That was Bill Browder, one of the 11 people on that same wish list as Kyle Parker. He was in Madrid at the time. This was the sixth time that Russia's tried to use Interpol to get a hold of him. And wait till you hear about the fake policemen that were a part of this episode. And so my heart was beating hard and we were driving through the streets of Old Madrid in what well, looked like a police car and they had, they had the sirens on. And
1: then we strangely um, came to a, a, a square and they
0: stopped and, and it wasn't in front of a police station and and they told me to get out of the car. Details on what happened then on the next episode of Target USA. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support Please subscribe to our podcast and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at WTOP.com. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. If you like my show, you're going to love The Jordan Harbinger Show. Here on Podcast One, Jordan dives deep into the untapped wisdom of the world's top performers. From intelligence operatives to legendary musicians, iconoclastic writers to visionary change makers. Listen free each week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcast. And in honor of self-improvement, you may also like The Dr. Drew Show, The Good Life with Stevie and Cezanne, or Revenge of the Jocks with Martellus Bennett, only. On Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.
2: To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night.